Hello, everyone. Welcome to the third episode of the George Boo Show. I'm your host, George Boo. Today, I'm really excited to be taking a new direction and talking about a topic that has not really been treated very well in traditional media, which is Web three. I think Web three or crypto in general. If you go to Wall Street Journal, New York Times, or you go to any like mainstream publication, I think you'll see a lot of news,、um, primarily about the downfalls、um, and the negative news about crypto. This is not to say that it's not fair and balanced, but I just think that there are many great people building great tools and use cases in, in Web three, but their voices are not being amplified. So I'm really glad to be speaking with a really great Web three founder today, Darshan Vandeya, who's the co-founder and CEO of Cordora.com, and it's formerly known as X Margin. Which we'll talk about more in today's show. I think Darshan has a really humble journey coming from the traditional finance world by being a trader on the UBS trading desk. You know, now a Web3 founder and have raised tens of millions of dollars from investors and has refused to take on the ICO money, refused to do an ICO, and really focus on building a great product and having real traction, having real customers. And those are just conversations I've had with Darshan prior to this show. So I'm really excited to have him on the show to talk to you directly. About what is it like to start a Web three firm? So, without further ado, let's introduce Darshan Vandeya, co-founder and CEO of Credora. Today, we have an awesome builder who is super experienced in both the financial markets and the crypto Web three point oh markets. Our honest guest today is Darshan Vandeya, who is the co-founder and CEO of X Margin, a private credit oracle designed to facilitate credit. To trading firms. So, first of all, Darshan, thanks so much for joining the show today, and super excited to have you on. Thanks so much for having me, George. Before we dive into X Margin, I think for me and for our audience,、uh, we want to first talk about your experience and your background by going over your profile. I know you're an options trader for you know more than eight years before starting X Margin. So, can you just share a little bit more about your journey there? How did you get into the financial markets? How did you get into options trading? I kind of fell into trading. To be honest, I used to do economics at LSE. Basically, did an internship at、uh, UBS, and part of that was on their trading floor, and just loved the thrill of trading. I guess it felt like being in like a professional casino, and with more maths and like. Statistics involved, and so really enjoyed that. Was on their crude oil options desk for just under a year.、Um, you know, Lehman's happened while I was on that desk, and there was a whole series of really exciting learning events that happened during that time. And then, like UBS shut down commodities, so the oil desk, the gas, and ags, and everyone got shut down. And、wow. I went to basically restart. My trading career at a what is now a much quite a large options market maker in London、uh, called Mako,、mm-hmm. and was a trainee on the trading floor there. Basically, went from being second on the book at, at UBS to back to like a trainee at, at Mako, and then after a year of kind of proving my worth there, basically got added to the Eurobor Sterling options desk and learned a lot from some of the best traders I've ever met there and. Then moved to start doing Eurodollar options in Chicago for a small firm out there, and came across crypto options、uh, around that time,、uh, purely just out of curiosity, and came across Deribit and realized that they、mm-hmm. didn't really have much liquidity on their exchange. It was like 2016, 2017, like prices were. 
Bitcoin prices were really low and the vol spread on these options exchanges was super wide. And so it just looked like an opportunity to make money being a market maker on that platform. And so I started doing that with my own money, helped them scale up their margin methodologies on Deribit and then became one of their early market makers like through 2017 and set up a small options fund, which was a market maker on Deribit for a while. And then basically started this journey towards X margin as one of the pain points that we had running this fund was credit and Mm -hmm. struggling to get credit to keep positions from one exchange offsetting positions from another exchange and that's kind of the profile of most sophisticated trading firms in the space is you know they're not just punting they're spread across many different exchanges with netting positions taking like small net positions overall that's capitally efficient at the moment in crypto because of the lack of access to prime uh, for derivatives and just generally like the access to credit is not super easy and certainly not competitive. It's kind of understandably the case because we couldn't really prove to anyone why they should lend to us like without just showing them our book in real time. Like that was kind of like the only way we could say, hey, look, you can trust us. You know, Xmargin is built to try and be able to prove to someone that I... I'm worth your credit because I am actually secure and neutral, but without having to reveal my position and like sensitive trade data that you can be used sure. against me. So that, that's okay. kind of the genesis of the firm. A very humble journey, I think, going from, you know, like one of the top in the trading desk at UBS and then going from training. I think that's a very, very humble experience and just reflects like, I think, your character, right? So building things, starting things from scratch. I, I do want to get into a bit of your timelines here. I think you mentioned, first of all, you discovered crypto options and that's when you got started in the crypto world. And I, I just think it's super early because I know people say, you know, blockchain started in 2010, but I think most of us haven't heard of it until like 2018, 2019, or even 2020. So you got there really early. What was the crypto space like then when you just started? I guess you got into crypto like 2014, maybe 20, uh, okay. like was one of the people with some funds on Mt. Gox. I remember buying it for like a hundred or hundred and something dollars and then selling it for like a thousand and thinking I was a genius. Um, it being Bitcoin. The reason is actually not philosophical. We were just betting on it on the desk in, at Mako. So we were just a bunch of traders looking at the price of this random asset that seemed to be going up a lot. And then we were just betting on it amongst ourselves. And then I was like, okay, I think I'm curious. I'm just going to buy some. And I bought some on some like peer-to-peer like almost like a craigslist for wow. bitcoin and it was, i think it was called like private bitcoin or something.com or something super shady sounding and yeah i just remember wiring my money to it and getting some coins back in a wallet and strangest thing that i'd done that day but you know it was just a little bit of fun and then yeah, I obviously wish I'd held on to those Bitcoin, but like it got me curious and then I started following it. And one of my friends pointed me to like uh, Deribit and they were very, very early. I remember speaking to John, CEO, and like being really interested about what he was trying to build, but perhaps from a more trader perspective than I was thinking from a, like, oh, I should invest in them perspective because obviously I wish I had. It was more looking at it going, oh, this could do with more liquidity. Like, how do I become a market? market maker on this because the vols are like 20 vols wide which you know in euro dollars at the time was like less than one percent wide and how do i become a market maker on both sides of this and 
that was my leaning into the market and why I started to get into crypto. But when I got professionally into it, I guess through 2016, 17, I think the general theme was everyone was pretty open and easy to talk to. So whoever you wanted to talk to, you just had like two degrees of separation, really. And then you could just reach out to that person. And I'd say like that changed through 2018, 19 and like, you know, became very crowded and it's even more so now but like i think 2017 2018 was a lot more open i think in my opinion to be able to reach out to people and especially like other traders that were trading on the same exchange it's still very open and like collaborative on the whole there but i came at it from a trading perspective so i don't want to pretend that like i came here and everyone it was all about the tech like i don't think it was ever about the tech for me up until x margin and then it was like the penny dropped for me that actually there's something bigger here than just trading this random number i care more about actually solving some problem perhaps i'm not the best example because i came at this from like a non-tech perspective and then moved to a more tech perspective i don't think there's any non-tech perspective i think it started off as tech but it's i personally still think it's mostly about finance and it's what you guys bring from the financial markets, the knowledge over the tech. It's what made blockchain, I think, super interesting from my perspective. Let's talk a little bit more about XMargin because I think previously you mentioned you know, about some stories about you know, first starting it. Introduction, we said it's a credit oracle designed to facilitate credit to trading firms. Um, so can you just get, go a little bit more in detail here about like what XMargin does and who are yeah. your bring customers? Essentially, what we're trying to do is for trading firms that are trading across CFI, many different CFI exchanges, like if I have positions on Binance, OKX, Deribit, and then I have positions across DeFi, I need to put capital at each of these places or yep. find someone that is willing to give me credit. Now, based on just my reputation, some balance sheet and financial statements information, I can probably borrow X. But how do I prove to that person that actually my risks are relatively low and I'm quite well hedged across all these different exchanges? And so what we've built is the ability to take all of this real-time information and consume it and compute on it in a private way. And so uh, the, the way it works is we enable trading firms to input their read-only API keys or their DeFi addresses, et cetera, into a secure enclave. And it's like a Intel SGX secure enclave. And then their positions get pulled directly and in, in encrypted form into those enclaves. We then compute upon those positions inside the enclave itself and then produce proofs, cryptographic proofs and attestations that whatever is happening inside those enclaves is exactly what we say is happening. So it's a proof of computation and then a okay. proof of privacy as well. And so essentially what's happening is that the trading firm is able to attest to their credit worthiness in real time to anyone that's lending them money, which enables them to go from here in terms of the amount of credit that they can get to here. And so that's essentially the benefit of what we're doing. And the benefit of the zero knowledge part of it is because the trading firm is unwilling to just share their positions to anyone because that is their alpha and that's how they're being able to make money. So they don't want to make that public to anyone. And the other part of the privacy that makes it super interesting is normally you would have some central intermediary here in between that you trust with the information 
and you trust them to be neutral. With privacy, you don't have to trust anyone with the information, and that thing is neutral by design. You can't be biased if you don't see the underlying data, and you can have cryptographic proofs of what it is that you're doing to the data. Ultimately, the privacy solves the need for an intermediary in that particular credit evaluation stage and just opens up what that means for the trading firm. It's like before you could only access credit from these two or three firms that are somewhat comfortable with you and may be able to give you this much credit. And now those firms can maybe give you this much credit, but you can also now access a bunch of other firms that were previously not comfortable at all and were at zero. And so it just opens up the competitiveness of the credit market. And for the lenders, makes it much more secure and safe. I think that's really interesting because, like what you said, I think maybe my analogy is wrong, but it's more like the Bloomberg IB for crypto trading desks. So, like you're saying, like typically they don't chat with each other, but now with uh, X margin, they don't have to know who the other person or trading firms really are, and they can facilitate those traded credit transactions with them. Right. The counterparties are always known. Right, like so, when a lender lends to the trading firm, they know who they are. The thing that's staying private is actually their positions. So okay. normally, the trading firm in traditional markets basically go to a prime, and the prime is their sole source of credit. So they trade from the prime's accounts, and the prime is the person that risk manages. All of the、uh, evaluates the riskiness of the trading firm's positions,、mm-hmm. gives them credit based on those positions, and does so into like sub accounts effectively of their own accounts, and the trading firms trade out of those accounts and get credit from the prime based on their overall risk. So, the prime is their like sole source of credit and their sole access to the market. The prime also acts as the underwriter or the insurer of that credit because it's their account at the end of the day. It's just they've given、mm-hmm. like a sub account to the trading firm. So, if the trading firm looks like it's going to default, they can just close out their positions, and you know that's the standard model that primes can operate in crypto. Everyone trades from their own accounts. They have their own fee structures. They have. They want to maintain control of their own accounts, and they also want to access credit from multiple different sources. And that's true of in traditional markets as well. People use multiple primes all the time. Now, the problem with that is, how do I prove myself to be creditworthy to ten different lenders? Do I just share streaming like my position to each of them? No, because you wouldn't do that because that is effectively your alpha.、Yeah. So if you can prove to them through this system that actually my position is Great, and it's proven by cryptographic proofs, and it's provably neutral. So you can trust that I'm creditworthy, and that's how the trading firm is able to attest to like ten different people, I am worthy of credit. And then for underwriting that risk, you can also have someone insure that risk that is also external. It doesn't have to be the lender itself. Someone else can provide insurance on that based on these metrics as well. So the idea is to really unbundle that prime stack to make it more competitive and make it a competitive and transparent credit market where the thing that's being hidden is actually the sensitive trade data, but the things that become more transparent are the inherent risks of credit worthiness. And yeah, that's kind of where we see ourselves disrupting is like that traditional prime model is something that we can improve. Yeah, and I think that's super awesome. And I guess the infrastructure itself is built on crypto, blockchain, Web three point oh, right? 
what we've tried to do is be agnostic. So Xmargin right now are these privacy-preserving nodes like built around SGX and cryptographic proofs. It is blockchain agnostic. It, you know, these are servers okay. that can be run across wherever. Right now, Xmargin is the only one that runs these nodes. But over the next six months or so, we are decentralizing the architecture. So anyone can run these privacy-preserving nodes. And the outputs that come off the back of that are cryptographically proven to be accurate and private. And what that means is that you can have a network of nodes, kind of like a private chain link for credit, where we are not the only ones running these nodes and are able to provide privacy-preserving credit calculations um, that are blockchain agnostic. And the outputs of that data would go to somewhere that is agnostic as well. So like IPFS, that can then be called upon by any on-chain or off-chain application. And so the vision really is when we become that decentralized model, that we'll have more than one type of credit methodology. Theoretically, then the Oracle can pull in credit data for, or underlying data from any different source. So like Plaid could pull it in from Shopify or Stripe or wherever really, like where small businesses, for example, might be able to pull in data to prove their credit worthiness. And you could have a completely different set of credit methodologies that have been proposed by the network that run on this private Oracle infrastructure. Yeah, that's kind of how we see that evolving over the next few years is becoming much more than what it is right now through decentralizing the architecture, but remaining blockchain agnostic and and really CFI or DeFi agnostic. I especially like when you talk about like a lot of those trading firms that don't really like to share their alphas with other firms. And, you know, like me having worked in the same space, not in crypto, but, you know, more like the hedge fund space, uh, quant space, I can definitely understand that. So can I understand it correctly? So like even X margin doesn't really know their current positions. That's uh, correct, or- yeah. Okay, so no one knows their current positions except, I guess, the Oracle. Yeah, the Oracle is just computing on that inside the enclave, but... It's not stored anywhere. The only thing that leaves the enclave is these credit metrics that are not revealing any of the underlying positions. So, yeah, no one ever finds out what the position was or is. Wow, that's super awesome. And and what does your current loan volume look like for Xmargin? I'm very curious to learn. Yeah, we're growing rapidly. Like we have done around $400 million of loans so far, uncollateralized and are monitoring on behalf of lenders around $3 billion of assets. And basically integrating with DeFi and CeFi partners of ours. So we're working with a number of large lenders in the crypto space, but also DeFi protocols that are looking to facilitate a more Oracle-driven credit approach. And we have some partners at the moment and we're you know, working with more every day. So yeah, we're looking forward to trying to become one of the ways that we can have a more Oracle-driven credit application system. So DeFi, we understand the challenges of credit there is like if some if DeFi is like completely permissionless, then obviously there is no incentive to repay the loan because why would you? I think that's that approach is somewhat changing and like the ability to have an on-chain identity which has a credit score attached to it. Like there are some great companies out there that are doing on-chain credit scoring like Spectral and like I think there are a few others that are really interesting in that regard. And we basically want to do something similar but we believe that we can get a better picture if we combine CFI and DeFi to produce that credit picture. And so, yeah, basically we want to provide like that Oracle first approach to DeFi credit. 
Okay, that's awesome. And X Margin, like the only solution for those crypto firms, because as I heard, I, I have personally not heard of any other firms doing anything similar. So you guys are kind of like the only one in this space. Yeah, I think we are the first to tackle it in this particular way. I think there are people trying to solve credit, I guess, for more standard DeFi users, like I said, Spectral and a few others that are looking at DeFi activity to make an assessment on creditworthiness, which I think is great. And then there are like solutions for trading firms, which revolve more around traditional prime, which are... I guess the traditional model and something that we're trying to make more competitive and and improve. I don't think anyone is really leveraging privacy to facilitate credit for trading firms as as far as I know, but you know, the credit this industry moves so quickly that like I may have missed something, but I think for now we are alone in combining these two bits of tech and the more open we make it, like try and become like a bit more like a chain link for credit and private data the more likely it is that we can involve more of these participants into that network and grow with that. And I do know like for XMarch and you guys, there's like a recent uh, good news is that you have recently launched a fund. And can you just uh, share us a little bit more about the fund and what it does? We essentially partnered with like a BVI fund, which lends predominantly to, well, it lends exclusively to XMarge onboarded borrowers. And the goal there is so that it's a high yield credit fund, which is able to generate the high yields that are available in crypto, but with the transparency that you get using XMarge. So all the investors have access to a dashboard, which is able to give information on the real-time creditworthiness of all the borrowers. So the partnership with that fund is, is mostly just to try and provide a bridge for institutional investors to be able to access these high yields without necessarily having to make a risk of a compromise in terms of risk and and really do so in a pass-through way. So you have very low fees and they can basically access the, the native yields that are available in the space. So yeah, that's kind of the goal. And really the, the hope is that that is to not only going to provide a good product for the end user or a superior product for the end user, but it should help grow the Oracle itself. We're really excited about it and I'm looking forward to scaling that up. And I think it's super interesting because it is also one of the first that's bridging the gap or creating the bridge between the financial markets and the crypto markets. So let's say like if I'm an institutional investor, I might have never had access to like, let's say a crypto credit fund, but now I have this access. And and I'm assuming like, even if I uh, transfer USD, investing USD, it's also possible to do that, right? Without having me buying any Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. Yeah, exactly. Like USD is the most in demand, like subscription from, from our experience so far. And I think there are some great crypto funds out there that do provide that bridge, but generally they fall under two brackets which are I don't think we're the first credit fund for crypto yields but I think we do provide like superior visibility but the other types of like high yield crypto funds are usually either um, underlying or venture or they tend to be more on the um DeFi side of things where the risk is different uh, like the risk is not not sure we can say is less or more, but it is smart contract risk um, and, okay. uh, and, and a very different kind of investment. Whereas a credit fund is much more about isolating counterparties and having credit risk 
and counterparty risk. And we believe we have the best possible tools to evaluate and reduce counterparty risk without reducing those yields. So hence why we think that we're a risk-adjusted return is, is superior. The field of like, let's say, yield farming or crypto yield farming is actually, I think, progressing over the past few years. And some of the companies like BlockFi, Nexo, and Celsius, they're getting to the end consumers who are just like, you know, you and me or even like Robinhood investors. What are your opinions about companies like BlockFi who's doing those crypto yield farming? I know it's very different from what you guys are doing, but just want to get your opinion on it. Yeah, I mean, I think... We work with all of these guys that you mentioned and are friendly with them. And I think the honest opinion of mine is that they are a great vehicle for someone that trusts them to be able to go generate them a yield. And they will go off and do and internalize what the the credit risk is that this end user is looking to allocate. So essentially what we have are like warehouses of credit risk. And, you know, these guys have proven themselves to be very good at managing that credit risk. Admittedly, that comes through having an intermediary, which then needs to take a spread for doing that job for you. And what our technology is designed to really do is to A, help those firms allocate their capital across the ecosystem, whether it be lending to trading firms or or otherwise, or basically allow the end user to just go allocate directly into the same counterparties and feel comfortable with the credit risk that they're taking, but they are themselves the counterpart. I think the yield farming plays are interesting and it's not something that I have too strong an opinion on. It's kind of like one way for these intermediaries to generate a yield on the back of the funds that they're getting. And the difference between that sort of yield versus lending directly to trading firms is firstly, it's like longevity. Like all of these DeFi projects have different incentive structures that mean that the yields are not stable and often like fall off once the initial incentives go away. And also the type of risk, as I mentioned. So like this counterparty risk versus smart contract risk. And it depends which one you're looking for your counterparties to be taking on. So if you want to just directly interact with a smart contract, then you are taking on smart contract risk. If you want to just lend to a specific client, then it's counterparty risk. And that particular client may be hedged across multiple different smart contracts and exchanges, in which case you're not exposed to one particular smart contract necessarily. So yeah, it just depends on what kind of risk you want to be taking as uh, as the person allocating funds. Yeah, I think that's super interesting. And I think for X margin, the main thing that you guys provide, I'm assuming, is the transparency is that other individual investors or uh, company investors, they're able to see exactly what kind of loans they're getting into. Can I just ask like what kind of details will it say an investor in the platform? What will they be able to see? Investors are generally able to access information depending on what the borrower will permission them for. So the way we try and treat the data is that data belongs to the borrower. So they can permission certain fields or all of it, but it breaks down into like real-time equity in dollars across all of the different venues. You have your, we do like a VAR calculation or a SPAN calculation, which assesses what's the maximum loss that you might achieve if the market does X or Y. And yeah, we run through a bunch of different scenarios to look at what how risky someone's book is and look at the maximum loss. We also look at the directional exposure someone may have and make like an absolute number out of it. So you don't know which way they're geared or which... 
asset they're actually geared in, but we can show you, you know, what's their net absolute directional bias, whether they have any directional bias more than which way it is. And then we look at things like gross leverage and, you know, how big the positions actually are. Nothing that reveals sensitive information about the trading firm, but in terms of the trading firm's positions or their strategy, but it does to those that you wanted to show how risky you are, those people can benefit from that in terms of getting enough information to ascertain, okay, they are relatively low risk based on all these metrics that are verified. Yeah, that's kind of what we think is a relevant set of metrics that a lender should be able to look at, but the borrower can select what they want. We can also condense all of these metrics into like a credit score, so that's something we do, combining that with their due diligence and various other factors. I guess the short answer is it's configurable. And I do want to talk more about like the process of building X-Margin because I'm sure you know this is like a completely new product in a growing emerging space. And I just want to ask, what was the early days look like when you guys decided to build this? Was there any resources that helps you on the way or did you just design it all by yourself? There was a project, a decentralized project, which is no longer around, but it was trying to use a slower form of zero knowledge computation to do analysis on big data like Google's like cloud data, for example. And we were providing them hedging services as a crypto fund, like asking them to buy put options or sell call options on their treasury to make sure that they were protected in the event of like a downturn in the crypto markets. And mm-hmm. they did not. And so they're no longer around. But the reality, though, is that I was just amazed by what they were working on. And they were talking to me about how this technology could be used for this or that or being able to compute upon. And then the example that was given to me that was if you have a bunch of data on Google Cloud that you want to keep private, you can use this to be able to analyze that data and tell someone aggregate information about that data, like how many people went to Paris last year, for example, without having to see any of the details of who went, when they went, why they went, or any of that stuff. And I thought that was fascinating because now you've been able to get information from data without actually having to see it. I was just like, this is what I need to do with my position. Like, I need to be able to show these people that I'm neutral. So if I could show that to them, then they might lend me more money. And that's when I went off and started working on XMargin. And there was nothing really to be able to build that at scale. I think the reality is that privacy preserving computations are still relatively early and they have been around for a long time, but to scale them up is still relatively new, especially when you want to do it on data that needs to be updated quickly. So with trading firms, their risks are always updating and there is a limitation to homomorphic encryption in terms of speed or even like MPC or any of the other different like privacy preserving computation methods that are pure zero knowledge. So that's why we've gone down this path where we are privacy preserving, but we use like both a combination of hardware and cryptographic proofs. And it took hiring like a team of like specialists in the space and yeah, basically getting a lot of stuff right and then wrong and then right and then wrong and mostly wrong for a while before we found the right balance of technological resources that are available and then putting together the right system. So it's constantly evolving and the technology available to us is going to constantly keep evolving. But uh, it's been probably one of the 
I initially just thought that we would just this technology exists, so we'll just build on some. We'll just add the application layer on top of someone else's technology, and that'll be it. And then we can just start making money as a credit application. <laughs> Honestly, like we ended up having to build the whole tech stack from the scratch. Yeah, because it doesn't exist for this particular use case today. So the experience has been humbling. I can feel the same way um, since like you know, my team, we built the infrastructure from the ground up as well. Probably we use like one or two APIs uh, from a few other companies, but like probably most of the code is written by ourselves. So I definitely understood uh, the pain there. Like, you mentioned about the team and I do want to talk about more about the team because I understand that like Darshan, you coming from the technical perspective, but coming from the financial world, like, do you have a technical funder? Because I'm, assu- I'm assuming that you are. Uh, so did you guys meet very early on or were you like kind of like recruited or fund your technical co-founder? Just curious on that. When I first got hooked to this idea, Anna, who's my you know, first co-founder, is predominantly a technical person that was you know really interested in AI and machine learning and was working at a competing fund to me and just been working with him a little bit to help help on a few things to do with you know to do with options risks and you know nothing to do with cryptography and I kept talking to him about like this idea that I'm working on and he was kind of intrigued and intrigued and I ended up working on X margin full-time for a few months and then Arne came on and joined me as a co-founder and like um, he and I have actually never met it's been t- two and a half to three years that we've known each other and we've just been separated because of various COVID reasons and like um, and haven't actually met yet but basically that was the basis of the whole company is Arne had the same vision and yet that also the technical understanding of the challenges that involves to build architecture like this so I would usually just look at it and go hey you could just do this and you could just do this and let's go and it's like yeah it's not that easy we need to do a bunch of different things in between to make it compatible and like you know I had a very trader mindset and it's become much more realistic and maybe practical in terms of what it actually takes to build things encourage anyone with an idea to just go try building it because it's never quite what you think. I think Arne was the person that helped me you know, learn more about that process. And then you know, now we have just under 30 people on the team. That includes uh, cryptographers, various C++ engineers, uh, privacy preserving computation engineers. There's uh, front end, back end, legal. Yeah, all, all sorts of various different people now in the company. And yeah, we're all fully remote, but it's just very collaborative encouraging environment to work in where everyone just tries to help each other out and generally uh, just a kind of fun happy environment where people are excited by the cool stuff that we're building so yeah really pleased to be working with the people that i am and hoping to continue growing the team over the next year and i think just by looking at you guys' website you can tell how x margin is different from other crypto projects is that i think most of your team members are engineers or cryptographers as opposed to like you know many other projects i think that are more more of a sales role or marketing role i think you guys are just like fully technical deep down building the infrastructure for yourself so that's why yeah i think that can come like maybe a personal cost just because it means that there's like a smaller subset of people like matt who's our ceo and myself and maybe a couple of others that are left to do a fair amount of the 
non-technical stuff, but it was important to us that we built the tech properly first. And so we spent a lot of our resources on building the technology correctly. And now we are expanding the other side of the team as we scale up and as we try and scale up more on the business side of things and make this tech a product because it's something that we see and read about quite a lot is that you know you can have great tech but it doesn't ever quite become a product if you don't have people that can take it there and so that's what we're looking to really grow now is like people that can take this this what we believe is great tech into a flywheel effect to grow the product and I think another great thing about XMargin is that I know many crypto projects myself and many crypto projects actually in their first year of existence, they did an ICO. And basically what happened is like they, uh, I, I personally think they're a little bit tied to their projects. There's, there's not much pivots um, that they can do in their technical infrastructure side. For you guys, don't, don't need to tell me anything about uh, any plans. Uh, I, I don't know anything. Um, but I think what you guys did well is that in the first few years, you guys didn't really do an I- ICO, but you focused really on the infrastructure. Did you know from the start that you guys are doing a lot, going to pivot a little bit, uh, and you wanted to like you know do that first, putting Twitter first? Never really thought about doing a token until it made sense. It was somewhat ideologically against the idea of doing an ICO, not because I was some sort of visionary, but just because I didn't really know what the business was going to look like and how we were going to find product market fit. And a token by design is supposed to help your business grow and supposed to help incentivize the growth of of an underlying business. But if you haven't built that yet, it's very hard to predict exactly what your pricing model should be and what the right governance model should be and what the right tokenomic structure should be and even how you should be distributing that token down the road. Like, And so it seemed way too premature. It's like, for me, it felt like going on a second or third date and then writing like a will or even like a prenup with that person. It, it was just like, hey, we're not there yet. Like we need to build the business. We need to make sure we understand how we're going to be charging and how it's actually catching on. And then we can think about whether there's like a token structure that makes sense. And that's something that we're always thinking through. Because one thing I will say is like, there are benefits and network effects of projects that have done a token well, and you can create the correct incentives for a network to grow. And so there are things to learn from that, whether you do it through a token or you just do it in the normal lines of business. But I think it was important for us from the beginning to just get the business part of it right and the tech part of it right. And that can sometimes be testing on your patience, but it's something that I believe will pay off in the longer term. Yeah, and I believe the same as well. So let me ask the last question, which is, what do you think the next three to five years will look like uh, for XMargin? Yeah, three to five years is a long time. I think that as we decentralize our architecture, so as we aren't the only ones that start running the nodes that power this credit oracle, the use cases of the private credit oracle will become more diverse. So for the first use case for trading firms, I believe that we can be a backbone to a transparent credit market that can mean that trading firms have a much more revolving door of credit available to them in a way that's still secure for a a wide variety of lenders. So it doesn't have to just be a prime. It can be a wide variety of lenders that 
contribute to a trading firm's access to credit, which is much more fluid and like a revolving door style of credit. So that's how I see the credit market evolving and hopefully our infrastructure like being the basis of that. Then for other use cases, as our technology becomes more decentralized, we can incentivize other pain points to use our architecture to solve them. I can see us being used for small businesses who struggle to get credit but have solid businesses to be able to use this architecture to prove their credit worthiness. For even consumer credit, being able to use this infrastructure in countries where consumer credit isn't so sophisticated or even parts of this country where consumer credit is impossible to access. So I think that it's going to be interesting to see what this oracle can be used for, but I think it will be up to the X margin network to decide where that goes. And I think that's what's most exciting to me. Yeah, and I think what's most exciting is that you guys already have infrastructure built, you have a use case, and you have an amazing product that's like in its early, early stage that can extend to such a big ecosystem. I'm super excited about that. And I think like Darshan, your story also incentivizes so many builders who are trying or looking to build in the Web 3.0 crypto space. And if I were one of them, I will be super excited to listen to this episode and learn this experience from you. So thank you so much for being on the show today. And I'm sure XMargin is going to grow larger and larger. And we hope to see you back on the show once that happens. Thank you. So it's been a pleasure to have me on and thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure to be on your show. Yeah, I think the only thing I have to say about being a founder in like Web3, if you want to call it that, or just, you know, the crypto finance or whichever industry you could categorize us under, <laughs> I think is, yeah, just go out there and make some mistakes. I think that's the only way that you can sort of move forward in this space is go out there and try something and hopefully make some mistakes and learn from them. And I presume we'll continue doing the same as a company. And um, yeah, just really grateful to, to be here and have you listen to me talk about it. Yeah, no problem at all. So thank you so much, Darshan. And that wraps up our episode. Thank you so much and hope to see you here very soon. And that is a wrap for episode three. So thank you so much, Darshan, for coming onto the show. I'm really excited to hear more about Darshan's view about building a real, authentic, and, and really respectable Web3 company. And I think Darshan's reasons for rejecting ICO and not doing a DAO or an ICO is truly amazing. And I think it's really rare to hear founders like Darshan having those really innovative thoughts in the world where capital has become redundant, at least in 2021 and before. So yeah, if you want to connect with Darshan, his link is in the description for you to connect with Darshan directly or connect with Cordora. And thank you so much, Darshan. And hopefully we'll see Darshan soon enough. So thank you for listening and stay tuned for next week's episode.